Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And Allie's here again. Uh, glad you guys decided to join us today. As promised, with our direct access to information, we have an expert today to talk about tendon injuries and a special kind of treatment. I know everyone out there's heard uh, in the news and heard about different sports players with tendonitis and hopefully haven't experienced yourself, but maybe have had tendon injuries, tendon issues. Um, we're going to do a deep dive today specifically on tendon, and this could be any tendon. could be the tendons in the elbow, tendons in your ankle, um, knee, etc. So, um, you know, kind of all tendons are injured in the same way and heal in the same way. And so uh, we're excited to bring you a special guest to talk about special treatment for tendons and a newer treatment that uh, many may have heard of but may not know a lot about called PRP. That's right. We have Dr. Burns on the podcast today. Um, and anyone's afraid of needles, he might actually get you to trust him a little bit. <laughs> so why For sure. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and get Dr. Burns on the phone? Sounds good. All right, everybody. Well, we have our special guest, Dr. Burns, here to talk a little bit with us today. Hi, Dr. Burns. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, um, Dr. Burns, why don't you give everybody, because, uh, our man, our relationship, how long has it been since we met when you were doing residency? Yeah, probably seven or eight years now, if I had to guess. And I think That's one of those crazy. Um, Florence uh, <laughs> ultrasound clinics we did, I think. Yeah, exactly. I, I still remember the day, and it seems like it was yesterday. <laughs> it's crazy how it's been. was wet behind the ears back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just tell our listeners and tell our audience a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, a little bit about your background. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, so I practice um, sports medicine, non-surgical orthopedics with orthocinthi. Um, I work at three offices in northern Kentucky, so a lot of overlap with, you know, the Oxford um, therapy offices kind of in this region, um, yeah. specialized training in sports medicine. So I completed residency at UC uh, and then completed a sports medicine fellowship um, at UC also. And then uh, for about the past four years, I've been practicing uh, with orthocinci, kind of a you know broad practice, jack of all trades. Um, you know, they have a saying about that, but, um, <laughs> you know, I do everything from electrodiagnostics to fluoroscopic procedures to sports medicine to sports events coverage to ultrasound diagnostics and procedures and everything in between. So a lot of, you know, different stuff. Every every day of the week is different for me, which keeps it interesting, but uh, that's, that's it in a nutshell. That's awesome. Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I really appreciate you being our guest today. And one of the topics we kind of wanted to dive into a little bit is tendon injuries and um, some of the treatment techniques that are, you know, maybe would be considered uh, non-traditional or not just your typical tendon treatment technique. And um, I know one of those uh, that often gets brought up and, and patients often ask and maybe isn't quite well understood is this thing called PRP, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, um, you know, certainly kind of a newer technique that we're using for treating tendon injuries. Um, maybe before chatting about exactly what PRP is, it'd be interesting you know, um, what I see with tendon injuries, 
um, and kind of how they occur. And I'm sure you guys, you know, have given a little bit of a rundown on this, but, you know, we're looking at tendon injuries, tendonitis, you know, through the spectrum of progressive tendonitis, chronic tendonitis into, you know, tendinosis. Tendons, by and large, you know, don't um, have great blood supply and don't tend to heal well. So if tendons have, you know, abnormal forces or overuse forces or too much, you know, of a bad thing, they can kind of degenerate over time and they can remodel and they can become painful and, you know, not heal themselves. So from a sports medicine side of things, part of my goal with a lot of these tendon injuries is, you know, figuring out a way, well, how can we kind of stimulate a remodeling to get the tendon to, you know, not necessarily to look normal, but to feel normal. So um, within my field, that means no limitations. If you want to golf, you're golfing. If you want to play tennis, you're playing tennis. If you're a pitcher, you're pitching and you're doing those things pain-free. Um, so that ranges from everything from activity modification, sports equipment modification, um, certainly physical therapy. I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in hands-on therapy techniques and modalities. So a lot of the stuff, you know, specifically working with um, Charlie and and yourself um, referring for, you know, dry needling is something I'm, I'm a huge, huge proponent of, um, in part because it has, you know, great abilities to improve blood flow within the tendon and kind of restart the healing process. Um, aside from that, you know, we need to, you know, focus on other things that patients can do, stretching, eccentric loading, and those are tough. You know, those are not intuitive. So, yeah. you know, working with therapy to, you know, learn how to do those things the right way so you're not hurting yourself and making things worse. Um, so that's that's where I start. That's like that's the starting point for getting things, these things better before you're even kind of going into, you know, any of the kind of newer techniques or invasive procedure techniques that we do. For me, the cornerstone is what you guys are doing, hands-on therapy, coordinated with, you know, uh, the docs treating and, and kind of good, well-rounded patient care. Yeah, I'm really glad you I'm really glad you backed up and, and started there because so many um great points in, in what you just said there. And I think first and foremost, maybe helping patients understand when you started to talk about like the spectrum of tendon injuries and how things progress, um, take us just a little bit deeper through that progression of, you know, when when tendons first begin to have an issue. Yeah, so I'll just take you through my personal experience with golfer's elbow. So um, you know, like many people, about a year ago, pandemic is rip-roaring, you know, gyms yeah. are shut down. Um, so the first thing I did, you know, St. Patrick's Day of 2020 was get on Amazon, buy a bunch of resistance bands. And then now I have hours and hours a day that I can get in my basement <laughs> and work out and, you know, have a, have a time in my life. I actually did the same but, exact thing. <laughs> um, unbeknownst to me, I basically gave myself a rip-roaring golfer cell bill. Oh, so, wow. um, so taken through this spectrum, so we're, we're doing – Overuse exercise. So, you know, I get elbow pain, medial elbow pain. So that's inflammation. So there is an initial kind of inflammatory phase to, you know, tendonitis where you're overusing the tendon, you get an inflammatory cascade. Uh, maybe, and, and there's kind of multiple ways, multiple like theories that have been proposed as to how this actually occurs. But um, overuse and inflammation is one. Another is um, micro tears within the tendon. And as we had mentioned, you know, these tendons have very, very bad blood supply, so they're not healing very well on their own. So right. have this inflammatory phase, this degeneration, this breakdown, and over, you know, the next several days to weeks, the tendon starts to remodel. It becomes, you know, instead of being like a nice, lean, strong tendon, it becomes very thick. 
it um, you know maybe develops increased vascularity, but not a good kind of vascularity. Maybe um, increased kind of nerve bundles throughout the tendon. Maybe increased calcifications throughout the tendon. The tendon becomes weak. It becomes painful, and it becomes chronically painful to where now it's not actively inflamed. There are some chronic inflammatory markers throughout the tendon, and now it's just weak. It's painful. It's not working well. Probably one of the best analogies I've heard for this was when I was in fellowship at UC. Um, describing a healthy tendon as a rope. So like, you know, a, a you know, brand new piece of rope, you, you're using this to tie your boat onto your dock. Now the docks, you know, the boat's been sitting there for a year. It's not been going anywhere. The rope's been just rubbing and rubbing and rubbing, you know, along the dock, along the wood, and it just starts to fray and it starts to get mm-hmm. fibular and the rope starts to splay. It's holding the boat in place, but this thing's about to pop at any time. So right. it's, you're, you're looking at a tendon that now chronically, so you started with the inflammatory phase, it kind of goes through this remodeling phase, and now you're just in this, you know, finally in the tendinosis. You have this rope that is thick. It's not doing its job. It's painful. You, you know, it's, it's a, you know, basically setting itself up for more injury, which at that point will be tearing and, 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 and the such. Yeah, and um, I think it's interesting when you started to describe the inflammatory phase because a lot of the conservative treatments we're doing is basically trying to get the tendon back to that initial acute inflammatory stage, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's take dry needling for an example, um, which is actually fairly similar to a procedure I do in the office that I can touch base on and shortly. Um, Dry needling, which I order all the time and I think it works great. Um, We're trying to restart, you know, an injury. We're starting to, you know, trying to recreate new, healthy blood flow to the tendon, reinitiate, you know, that injury. So the body kind of switches gears into that inflammatory phase. So, you know, hypothetically, then you're going to restart the healing cascade. So you're setting right. that tendon up to heal itself. But, um, you know, in my experience, that needs to be then coordinated with the home exercises, the hands-on therapies, the activity modifications right. as such. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, creating the right environment to heal because if acute inflammation was all it took, then it would have healed the first time, right? But absolutely, if you yeah. don't, you know, if you don't have the right surrounding factors, be it activity modification, you know, support through bracing, taping, uh, proper exercise to you know rebalance muscle imbalances, things like that. Obviously, then you're just creating, you know inflammatory process just to create inflammation, which is you know, basically translates from a patient standpoint to just pain for pain, you know? Um, so I don't think that's where we want to put anyone. No, absolutely. And so I really like the phrase setting your, setting it up, you know, setting the body up for healing or setting that kind of up for success. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times it being, a, you know, in the office, someone will come in and there, there's two, two kind of thought processes that patients often have. One is the patient wants a, you know, a pill or something to make us feel better and they're okay with that. Other patients like, listen, if this is just going to mask the symptoms and leave it, leave, I, don't, I don't want it. You know, I want to get better. I don't right. want to just take something to make right. me feel better. Um, so, you know, by and large, if we're just taking medicine because our elbow hurts and we're not, you know, doing the rotator cuff rehab, you know, to work above and below the injury, if we're not setting it up for success or healing and we're just taking medicines, we're not healing anything. You're just, you're just feeling better and it's, you know, you're going to be progressing then through that tendinosis phase and, you know, long-term making things worse. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad I'm I'm glad we started talking here so that we can you know like I said really uh, explain to folks why can't you just do something immediately to make it feel better um, because sometimes some of the treatments do make it a little bit more sore in a short term sense 
but how important the follow-up work is so that we do prevent that progression of these tendon injuries into the point where you're dealing with that thick, old, frayed tendon that just doesn't doesn't function well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And having some of those expectations, hey, we're going to do some things, we're going to make the tendon probably feel a little bit more support gets better, but that's expected and kind of managing those expectations so, you know, uh, patients understand, okay, this is part of the normal recovery process and mm-hmm. kind of getting the buy-in with everything else that we're doing is super, super important. Yeah. So we've we've talked a little bit about tendons and how important blood flow is and blood supply is and how a lot of treatments we're doing is to improve blood flow to it. Yeah, so that, I think our listeners got a pretty good picture. That was pretty good. <laughs> so that kind of brings us to this whole, you know, blood discussion and and probably back a little bit to, to PRP. So um, yeah, describe what PRP is. Yeah, can you educate everyone about what that is? Absolutely, absolutely. So plate, uh, PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma. Uh, it's actually not not terribly new. You know, it's been around uh, at least you know for 10 to 20 years at this point. It's only been part of my practice since I started in in practice here at uh, or the Cincy. Um, the idea is, you know, very simply, you're you know taking your own healthy blood. You're then concentrating your own healthy growth factors in platelets, the healing components of your blood. Then under ultrasound guidance, you are directly injecting those to an area to be treated. So in this case, a tendon. And the mm-hmm. idea is, is you're, you know, you have an area that's not, you know, healing very well on its own. It's not setting itself up for success. So you're, you know, using the body's innate healing ability and, you know, directly injecting this supercharged plasma with healing components exactly where they need to be to, again, you know, like our other treatments we just mentioned, restart the healing process and set the tendon up for success. Right. So compare and contrast that to other injections that people might be more familiar with or have heard about, like a cortisone injection. What are the differences to a tendon when they get cortisone versus PRP? Uh, They are 100% complete opposites, well, 180-degree spectrum. So if you think of a steroid shot, so, you know, a cortisone shot is what, you know, most people, you know, ask if that's what we're doing. Cortisone shot, you know, that's any steroid. um, That is going to be by definition an anti-inflammatory injection. Mm -hmm. Tons of use for that. I use it all the time for, you know, different conditions that we're not, you know, not particularly touching on today. So it's tons of use for a, a steroid injection. However, you know, if we're looking at restarting the healing cascade, we need to restart the inflammatory process. That's where PRP comes in. Um, other injections, you know, like prolotherapy come in where you are, uh-huh. it basically, it's an inflammatory injection. It's it's restarting the inflammatory cascade, restarting the healing process where we're um, trying to then get the tendon to remodel. So it's, you know, for a typical patient, you know, if I'm injecting a patient, so let's say a hip, a fluoroscopic guided hip steroid injection, someone has bad hip arthritis, we're doing a steroid shot, a day later, they're going to feel great. And they're going to feel great for four to six months. It is an anti-inflammatory injection just where you're taking away inflammation. Yep. For a typical PRP, you know, you and I, and I talk to my patients about this. We try and do these procedures on a Friday. So I say, listen, you're going to go home. You're going to take a half day on a Friday. You're going to feel worse before you get better. You're going to take it easy this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. It's inflammatory. You're going to feel a little bit worse before you get better. And right, on, right. and on Monday you're going to get back to work. So it's literally from your patient experience side of things, and just from a physiologic side of things, it is 180 degree difference. 
Right. Yeah, the expectations should be different because they're different treatments, right? If there's no pain, there's no gain. <laughs> <laughs> In some sense. In some sense. <laughs> so um, take us through, you know, I'm sure everyone out there listening is going, well, I have pain in this tendon and shouldn't I get a PRP injection? Yeah. Is this right for me? But it may not be <laughs> the perfect treatment for every patient, right? Absolutely. Well, and it's patient specific. So it's tendon specific, it's body part specific. So, you know, let's say for, for me, um, this is never a first line treatment. Sure. If, sure. If you have rotator cuff tendonitis and you, you know, it's, it's your, your two to four weeks in, you're early on in, in the phase. Well, we're not doing it. You, you need to try other things first, typically, because, you know, by and large, you want to try least invasive to more invasive. So yeah. um, the person who, you know, is new to their injury, they've not done any other treatments, they've not tried any, you know, um, relative rest modifications, they've not tried any therapy whatsoever, well, that's probably not the best treatment for that person. Um, if it is, you know, somebody who has had, you know, six to eight weeks, 12 weeks of, you know, pain at a area that we know benefits. So there's specific areas that we know benefit from platelet-rich plasma, rotator cuff being one, um, lateral medial condyle, so, you know, commonly referred to as golfer's elbow, um, tennis elbow, you know, by and large being probably the best studied area for this treatment, um, you know, quadricentin and patellatin. These are areas that do very, very, very well. Um, but you, you want to treat the right area that has high evidence behind it, but then you also want to make sure you're not just jumping into this. You're not, you know, you're not doing this sure. as your first line treatment for any ailment or ache or pain that you may have. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good advice. And then, um, is this like a one and done for most patients or are there subsequent PRP injections and, and kind of what does that look like from your standpoint? You know, so that's an excellent question. And again, so my style of practice is every patient's different. Every case is different. Yeah. yeah. Um, for most patients, I try and it's not just like a broken record. I'd say let's try and be least invasive as possible. So uh, usually, you know, whatever I'm doing, you know, I try and do, if we're going to do an injection, let's just try and do one injection or one procedure, one PRP injection, and we're done. But it's a moving target and it's a reevaluation process. So I would say mm -hmm. about 10 to 20% of my patients, you know, we, you know, at our, at our first four week follow up, we see how you're doing. And if you're not, you know, steadily moving in the 40 to 60% improvement range at that point, that's when we discuss, okay, well, is it worthwhile to try and repeat a second PRP injection. So mm -hmm. occasionally I will move to the second injection. Um, if you're kind of in the hamster wheel of your, you know, injecting not better, injecting not better. Well, if you have done two injections of anything and you're not getting much better, I'm not sure I would consider moving on to the third. So yeah, it, yeah, it, makes it certainly sense. can be more than one, but really it is a moving target and, and, and I try and do as few as possible. Yeah. Has there been any studies that you're aware of and we were talking about, um, you know, like getting blood to the source and, and helping healing. And, um, you know, we've talked on several of our episodes about surgery and sometimes things unfortunately do result in surgery. Um, and have they studied at all injecting this postoperatively, like you mentioned rotator cuff. So would there be any thought to a rotator cuff repair and a PRMP injection at the time of surgery? Uh, you know, there are studies, the ones that immediately come to mind where I know PRP is studied well and incorporated in a surgical um, kind of area is more in the, I think there's definitely tendinous uh, injections, but um, in the what are called osteochondral defects. And so this is where yep. 
you know, maybe it's an osteochondral defect of the talus, which is the ankle bone, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the patella, so the kneecap. Um, there is some evidence that, you know, PRP intraoperatively, in addition to, you know, the surgical proceduring and microfracturing, has some benefit in recovery. So I think, yes, there's definitely emerging evidence for incorporating PRP in the, not, not even in the post-operative, but in the immediate operative setting, um, with the caveat is, you know, I don't do surgeries or kind of operate on folks. So sure, definitely that, sure. that is not my um, my expertise or, or, or um, uh, forte, so to speak. Yeah, understood, understood. So from, uh, let's say, a patient, um, you know, you guys uh, do go through the proper conservative treatments and they failed, determined to be a candidate for PRP. Um, in office, what does that look like? Is is the blood drawn in office and injected that same day? Is there lag time between and you know draw and injection? Can you just talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So that's what's really nice about it is there is minimal to lo- no lag time. So, I, like I said, you know, I, I typically try and do these procedures later in the week or, or, or on a day of the week where the patient has the next day off just to recuperate. Um, it's an in-office procedure. You know, typically it's about 45 minutes from walking in the door to walking out of the door. Um, you know, the patient comes in the office. I, I try and uh, do my best to sit down and, and talk with, you know, the patient before the procedure. You know, typically I have already seen the patient in office. We've gone through all the steps. I've ordered it. Um, but I tell everyone that I do this and I say, you know, I, I just want to make sure you have any questions. You know, I don't want to just come in and inject you and peace out. And, and you know, you're like, that guy just right. me and, <laughs> and left. Like, what the heck am I supposed to do now? Um, so, you know, I do a kind of a small mini consult. Hey, any questions? You know, you feeling okay? This and the other. Um, my staff comes in. There's a blood draw. You know, we, we aspirate a certain amount of blood. And then in the same room, we have a centrifuge set up. We centrifuge the blood. Um, about 15, 20 minutes later, I come back in with um, some of my assistants. Uh, we do an ultrasound evaluation and perform the procedure. So um, typically, Excellent. you know, it takes about, you know, 45 minutes walking in and walking out. Um, for some of the intratendinous injections, it's typically incorporated with a very long, fancy procedure name called ultrasound-guided percutaneous knee delphinotomy. Uh, uh-huh. I, I do not expect anyone to spell that or remember that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, we, we will do this where um, – uh, to make this minimally uncomfortable, I try and numb up around the tendon, so it's, it's minimally uh-huh. painful while the patient's there. Um, we do a you know a small post procedure phase where you know, you may need a brace afterwards to specifically rest an area. You might need to hang out with an ice pack on the area we injected if it's a little bit sore, um, but usually it's you know um, a fairly quick procedure for most folks. Excellent. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions: is do you advise you know, against the typical um, conservative anti-inflammatory treatments like icing or even non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like Advil, things like that, after this type of procedure because you want that inflammatory phase, or are you okay with that uh, being used? So some yes and some no. I'm a big, big proponent of sure. icing, you know, just from the um, more the pain control side of things. Uh-huh. Um, I, the anti-inflammatory uh, is not going to be enough to inhibit what we do from the procedure. Now, NSAIDs, 100%. So I typically say we need to hold NSAIDs. It's ibuprofen, it's Aleve, it's several other prescription NSAIDs two weeks before the injection, two yeah. months afterwards. Yeah. And really that's, like you okay. said, you want to set it up for success. If you're doing an inflammatory injection, taking an anti-inflammatory medication, you're directly inhibiting you know, the work we're trying to do. 
So yeah, yeah. You know, most sense. patients are fine with it. You know, they they um, they ice, they use Tylenol between embracing and maybe topical medications and in work with therapy, therapy mm-hmm. modalities, they tend to do very, very well. And is there anything that patients can do? Let's say they uh, had consulted with you and they have this pending PRP injection six or eight weeks down the road. Is there anything they can do to boost their platelets, hydration, nutrition, supplements, anything like that that they might be thinking, I want to get a super-powered PRP? <laughs> and make this work. You know, that's an awesome question, and I've never actually thought about that critically. Um, I think uh-huh. I think your instincts are 100% right, though. You know, um, you want to be eating healthy three square meals a day. You know, you are what you eat, eat so you want to be eating healthy foods, free-range meats, you know, limiting red meat. Sure. Um, hydration is key, limiting sugars, limiting um, things like high fructose corn syrup. Anything to maximize your nutrition and your hydration is not going to hurt. And in fact, if it doesn't do anything to increase our platelets whatsoever, it's going to improve your body's ability to heal. So, yep. you know, yep. I, I think the nutrition side of things is a really awesome kind of caveat to this whole discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And why not start that healthy lifestyle? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, TLC, therapeutic lifestyle changes. There you That's go. right. Well, um, Dr. Burns, I think it's been great talking. Is is there anything else that you think our audience would enjoy hearing about with tendon injuries, tendon healing, PRP, anything we didn't talk about that you'd like you know, to cover? There's only one small thing, and so every great podcast ends with a cliffhanger. So I'm going to leave you guys with a small cliffhanger. You awesome. may decide, awesome. you may decide to it. run with this because it really is its own its own topic. But the cliffhanger okay. is, by and large, you know, every rule is meant to be broken, but by and large, kids do not get tendonitis or tendinopathies. If you have a little yeah. one, you know, a 12-year-old pitcher has tendonitis, well, he probably has little league shoulder, little league elbow. Your little one has jumper's knee, well, they probably have an apophysitis at the knee or gross foot injury. So, yeah. like I said, that's yeah. a whole other topic with a whole other caveat with a ton of rehab correlations, but... It sounds like we're setting up another episode here to me. I know. It looks like I'm looking at my calendar here <laughs> soon, Dr. Burns. <laughs> I, I think it might be, but it's 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 a real deal concept where, you know, we're talking about all these things with a caveat in adults. If it's your little one, your kid, your your you know, your your ten year old soccer player, kids don't get tendonitis, so you know, take some of those things a little bit more seriously in kids and get them in to be seen. Excellent advice. Really appreciate you being a guest and the time. It was fantastic. Yeah, that was a lot of information. We really appreciate it, <laughs> <Yeah>. Dr. Burns. <laughs> Yeah, guys. Well, I, I, like I said, I appreciate you having me. You know, I'd love to come back if, if you want, but you know, thanks for taking the time and, and uh, having me on the show. For Absolutely. sure, man. All right. Bye. See Bye. everybody. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at oxfordphysicaltherapy.com, and you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen, what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms, and until next time, keep it moving!